you have a copy of the scriptures, I'd love to look with you this morning in the book of James. We're in chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 16 through 27 this morning, and this will be part 1. So we're going to look particularly at verses 16, 17, and 18 this morning. But I want you to see that this whole section, 16 through 27, actually fits together. So that's why this is just part 1. Um, as you're turning there or looking at uh, getting ready to hear this word from God um, as we read this together, I just want to give you a quick update. So as many of you know, if not most of you, I started chemo this past Monday. And so that's uh, seven days on and seven days off. And so I've taken pills in the morning and pills at night every day. So I had to make sure and chemo up before I, you know, worship with you all this morning. Um, and I really appreciate your prayers and how you have cared for me and messaged me. And I thank you for those of you that decided not to because you wanted to give me space. I'm not keeping a tally of who has been contacting me and who hasn't to determine who actually cares. I know that many of you have decided not to because you don't want to bother me. I completely understand that. But I thank you for the ways that you have cared for me. Uh, as you can tell, um, I'm not laid up in the bed and throwing up all the time. So how I feel is I'm slightly off in everything. Now, most of you probably think that about me normally, <laughs> but it's even enhanced. It's been furthered by these drugs this week. So I've got brain fog. I've got some fatigue, I have uh, appetite loss, I have, uh, I'm not sleeping the same, um, temperatures affect me differently, everything about me is slightly off, and so it's, it's weird. Um, so I can see you and I know I'm present here, but I'm just not all here mentally, but I'm going to do the best that I can. It's actually been great to have something um, very constructive to do this week, like try to get ready for today. In, the, in case that I could go today, and obviously I am, um, that type of uh, responsibility has been really helpful in, for me during this time. Otherwise, I might be tempted just to sit around and not do too much. And my understanding is when you're on these kind of drugs, it's really good to be as active as you can. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to do as many normal things as I can, knowing that uh, when I run out of gas, I'm done. I don't have an extra gear right now. I don't have a, well, I can do this because Saturday I can really rest. I don't have that. When my battery gets to zero, I shut off. That's it. And so um, I'm glad that I can be with you and I'm glad that I can do this. And again, I thank you for your prayers. Uh, so after about eight o'clock tonight, I'll take my last uh, six pills of the day. So that will be uh, 77 pills for the week. How about that? And then I'll have seven days off. And so, um, and then I'll be back on seven days for, for three months. We'll go back and forth like that. So continue to pray if you'd like to. I sure would appreciate it. I don't, I don't know if I'm going to get hit really hard with uh, the nausea and the severe fatigue and all that stuff. I just, I just don't know. Um, but this week I've made it six and a half days and feel, you know, okay. Uh, relative to what I could feel, I feel great. Um, so there's a brief update. Let's look at God's Word together. I'm going to read the text, and then we'll set up James again, and then we'll pray, and then we'll dive in. So pay a special attention to 16 through 18 this morning, but hear this. This is the Word of God. This is what sustains me, and this is what sustains you. This is what we have to cling to. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and, and every perfect gift is from above 
coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be, a, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. All right, so let's think for a few moments briefly before I pray about James. This will be the last review, and then you'll get a break next week. So the key verse of James is what? Anybody remember? Yes, chapter 4, verse 6. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's the gospel in one sentence. Without Jesus, we are full of pride, and God resists us. With Jesus, we understand grace, and we are growing in humility. The key idea for the book is this. God uses James to describe a cruciform life, meaning a life that is shaped by the cross. So in other words, we can't look at this book and think that it's a brand new to-do list of everything we need to do. This is describing for us what it looks like to have a life that's shaped by the cross. So we can't ever disconnect what we're supposed to do from the cross. We're supposed to bring Jesus into every part of our lives. Make sense? It's a whole lot easier to think, Jesus saved me over here, now I get to work over there. And he's way over there and I'm over here. We're supposed to bring him into everything, which means we think through every issue, every moment of our lives through what the cross says and the power of the cross. Three, well, hold on, let's see. That's the main idea. Oh, yeah, so there are five menu items with this. So the first one, and these correspond basically with each, each, with each of the five chapters, one word for each chapter. So if we're supposed to have a cruciform life, and here's a description of what it means to be shaped by the cross, here it is. Number one, endurance. We're shaped by the cross and we will endure. Two, authenticity. Chapter two, which we'll get into in a couple weeks, few weeks. So we are to live authentic lives, which is actually being hinted at here in chapter one. Not just hearing, but doing. Three, if we're shaped by the cross, we'll be a disciplined people. Four, we'll grow in contentment. And five, we will anticipate the future. That we are actually a people shaped by the cross, which means we look forward to what is to come all the time. And by the way, you don't just get to pick which item you want on the menu. 
These are things that are being worked into us because of the Spirit. Three, motivation. I mentioned to you the quote of D.L. Moody, which is this, and it's actually technically not his quote, even though everybody thinks that, but here is what he heard from someone else and put kind of in his own words. Um, The world has not seen what God can do with someone who is completely consecrated to him. With God's help, I aim to be that man. So that's a statement of D.L. Moody. Whether you know him or not, he's a representative of someone who follows the Lord Jesus. Let me give you a quote from someone else who follows Jesus, named the Apostle Paul. I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For when I am weak, then I am strong. How does that tie into motivation? Here. When you hear the D.L. Moody quote, it makes you think, you know what? If I was more consecrated to God, he could use me more. I am deficient in these ways, and if I just got better, God could use me more, and more change would happen in the world if I was just a better person. This is what has given birth to the mentality that if you just really go and do missions, that is far superior than if you are a plumber. Instead of being a teacher, you really should think about going into ministry because God can really use you if you're in ministry. He can't use you as much if you're a teacher or a physician or a plumber. It's kind of strange. Meanwhile, the Bible says that we should boast in our infirmities and boast in our weaknesses because when we're weak, we're strong. In other words, it's easy for us to be motivated by our deficits. And if we constantly focus on ourselves and think about ourselves, all we'll ever find is deficit. But God motivates us by grace, meaning he wants us to live our lives being motivated from the fullness of Jesus. To live our lives from the fullness of Christ. He doesn't want us to live our lives thinking, We're never good enough, and if I was just better, he could use me more. Therefore, I just need to be more consecrated to him. Because, oh, by the way, the world has seen a man who was fully consecrated. Do you remember his name? Well, what's his name? Jesus Christ. We'll never be him, will we? Go ahead and say it. Dave, you're not Jesus. There's a relief in hearing you say that and laughing, because I'm not. He's the only one who's ever been fully consecrated to God. And the world has changed because of him. Not because of me. Because of him. Finally, fifthly, or excuse me, fourthly, vision. How does this fit into what we're doing as a church? Loving God, loving people, loving the place where he put us. It means as we read James and we think about the gospel, and we think about being shaped by the cross, it means that we're realizing that It's not so much that God has a mission for his people, but he has a people for his mission. He's continuing to work in us to accomplish his purposes. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that we get to review those things, and we hope, Lord, that you will challenge each of us to examine those things to see if they're true and to look to your word to figure out if they're true or not. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to understand these words in James, 
uh, starting at verse 16 today, that you would help us to understand what they mean and how it applies to our lives. And I ask, Lord, that you would especially give me energy and clarity of mind and help me to speak of the things that you have taught me and showed me this week. Help me not to lead this people away from you. But help me, Lord, help me, Holy Spirit, help me, Jesus. Help me to lead all of us to your beautiful, wonderful gospel. Help me to lead us to you, Jesus. We pray in your name, amen. Here's where we're going this morning. Two points. Here's the first one. All is gift. And the second, all is grace. That's where we're going this morning. That's the roadmap. All is gift and all is grace. So let's jump in with verse 16 and start looking at what does it mean? All is gift. What does it mean by that? Well, let's look at verse 16. James starts off by telling us, don't be deceived, brothers and sisters. Don't be deceived. And by the way, James is not meaning that as a rebuke. He's saying that as someone who loves us, someone who loves you, He's saying that out of care. He's saying it out of concern. He's saying it out of urgency. So hear it. Hear it that way. James is concerned because he doesn't want any of us to be deceived. He doesn't want us to be led astray. He doesn't want us to be led astray by thinking we know something or living in such a way that is out of accord with truth. He doesn't want us to live as if we're dependent upon ourselves. And you might say, well, what is he concerned that we'd be deceived about? Well, all these verses fit together. So let's see how they fit together. He doesn't want us to be deceived in thinking that we can blame God for falling into temptation. And he doesn't want us to be deceived by thinking that there's no good reason to, be, to believe that God is good. He doesn't want us to think either of those things. He doesn't want us to be deceived and think that we can blame God for falling into sin, and he doesn't want us to be deceived by thinking there's no good reason to think that God is good. Remember what he's been writing? Every one of us will face trials, right? Every one of us will face trials. You remember what a trial is? A trial is when pressure comes from the outside and cracks us open. It cracks you open. It cracks me open to where I'm exposed. And I realize that I'm lacking and there's something that I need because I've come to the end of myself. When trials come into our lives and they take many forms, that's why he says various trials, plural. Because trials come in all shapes and sizes in all kinds of intensities whether that's social things or familial, whatever it is. And when we get cracked open and come to the end of ourselves, we realize that at the same moment, we are being tempted. Those trials are also temptations. As trials come from the outside and crack us open, so internally, we face temptation. And we never stay the same when we face temptation. We either go one of two directions. We either go toward wisdom. We either go toward Jesus, toward growing in love and joy and peace and patience and self-control and gentleness and all those other things. We either go toward those things or 
We become more curved on ourselves, curved in on ourselves. And we become more self-focused and begin to think, you know what? The way I can get out of this trial is that I just need better methods and better techniques and better tricks to get out of it. So we end up not going toward Jesus, we end up going toward self. That's what happens in temptation. And the truth is, is that God means everything in our lives to be a process by which we become mature. So trials and temptations are ways that we become mature. We grow because we always get to take someone with us in trials and temptations. Remember this? We get to take someone with us, and his name is Jesus. So when we're going through trials and facing temptation, we take Christ, and we can actually find joy because of what God is doing to mature us through our trials and through temptation. And that produces joy in us because we realize that we really aren't in control, that God is. So James says, don't be deceived. You can't blame God. And there are really good reasons for thinking that God is good. And that's why James goes on to say, look at God. That's why he says, as you face trials and face temptations, listen to me, verse 16, don't be deceived. And then immediately, verse 17, goes into talking about God. Because he doesn't want you to leave without thinking about God. He doesn't want you to face temptation and trials without thinking about God. So he turns all of our attention to thinking about God so that we will be astounded at who God is. Now here's the trick. To the extent that you are able to understand your trials and know that you're going through a trial, and to the extent that you have felt the pull of temptation, these verses, 16 and 17 and 18, will feel like worship. They'll feel like devotion. They'll feel like glorying in God. They'll feel like, so in the midst of my trial, in the midst of my temptation, when I feel cracked open at the end of myself, I have this, I have God. That's what James is after. Look at what he says. Every good and perfect gift comes down from our Father in heaven. He wants us to remember in the midst of our trials and temptation to look at God who is a giver. He wants us to look at God and remember that God doesn't change. Did you see that in verse 16 and 17? Do you see it? Beloved, God doesn't change. He's not like the lights that he created. He's the father of lights. He's not like the sun and the moon and the stars that their normal, ordinary light creates shadow. With God, no shadow. God has set the stars in the heavens and established seasons because there's change. With God, there's no change. 
He is setting up the fact that these things come and they go. One day the light burns bright, the other it is a, it is a shooting star, not God. He doesn't change. He is unchanging. There is no variation in him. The best way that I can describe this to you is this. He is dynamically unchanging. He's not static, meaning that he just sits there and doesn't move. He is dynamic in the reality that he doesn't change, meaning that he is all loving and gracious and giving, and he is always pursuing so that the fact that he doesn't change is dynamic. He is dynamic in his love. He is dynamic in his mercy. He is dynamic in his grace. That means that every day of our lives, he is pursuing us. You get it? It's not that he is just a being that is all loving and never moves and never does anything. He is the God of love, which means he inherently pursues. He inherently lavishes. He is the God of, that is this glorious. And in the midst of your temptation, in the midst of your trial, you can remember that God is dynamic in the fact that he doesn't change. And so who he is means that he is pursuing his people with all that he is. That's kind, of, that's kind of extraordinary, isn't it? Because we are always changing. But not God. He is just dynamic in his love and mercy and gentleness and everything else about him. And James is saying, do you realize that all is gift? Because those gifts come from the God who doesn't change but he dynamically gives them. You notice how it says every good and perfect gift? You see the way that our God has created the world is that he has sprinkled and scattered gifts everywhere, everywhere. It means that there is beauty in everything. It means there's worth in everyone. It means that there is a common sense across the board. It means that There is fascination everywhere. It means that everywhere in God's creation, you can find something good. If you really like theology, this is what we call this, common grace. God gives good gifts to everyone, skills, skill sets to everyone, whether they follow Jesus or whether they do not. You can find it everywhere. And that means that we don't have to be afraid of the world that we're living in. It means that we don't have to try to stay in this unusual Christian subculture. It means that We can recognize good things all the time in every place. It means that living in this world is a little more challenging because we have to remember that God has scattered parts of who he is everywhere. And they're meant to be identified and explored and appreciated. So let me ask you this. 
what is it that transports you? In thinking about gifts that God has given everywhere, what are those good gifts that you enjoy that really transport you somewhere else? I'll try to be specific. Some of these are relative to my life, and maybe they will help you either by relating or stirring up your imagination to think about your own life. What, what is the music that you love that transports you? What is it? What, what are the books that you read that transport you? What are the movies that you watch that are transportive? That's what I'm talking about. What is it? What are the good gifts that you enjoy that take you somewhere else? Is it, is it watching Aretha Franklin sing in front of the president at the Kennedy Center a couple years before she died of pancreatic cancer, throwing off her fur coat as an symbol and uh, to... to state that she is stomping on this cancer as well as she is a black woman in America who's singing for the president, honoring Carol King, singing natural woman. Does that transport you? Because it transported me. What book is it that you've read that the ideas there transport you to another place? I read one recently. This was the punchline. If you email me, I'll send you the whole thing. Nature's wonders follow the plow. Sent me in a whole new way to look at what I'm going through. Farming analogy. There's no growth without the plow stirring up the ground, turning things inside out. Nature's wonders follow the plow. Just hit me and sent me to a place that I hadn't been to think about my own trials and temptations in my trials. Sitting with my grandmother about a week after my grandfather died on a bench outside of her nursing home. Sitting outside talking with her and her saying to me, Dave, I just don't know what I'm going to do. I haven't made a decision without him for 60 years. You think that made me stop and think about my own life? It was transportive. What about enjoying sporting events, which I do? You ever been there when there was a state of euphoria because something happened that you didn't expect, that you thought was impossible, and you were transported somewhere else with a joy that you didn't know you had? You been there? That's a good gift that God has given you. What is it that you enjoy and delight in that you recognize are good gifts from God? What is it? Do you see it? Because here's the thing, if you're chasing the experiences of those good gifts, they will never bring what you hope that they would bring. They never will. And the irony is that when we try to look for them, it doesn't really happen. It's when we don't expect it that it happens to us. I never went to a sporting event where something happened that I didn't imagine and I thought to myself before the game, hey, something amazing is going to happen today. I didn't watch Aretha Franklin think, wow, this is probably going to be pretty good, not knowing it was going to be transportive. I didn't read that quote and think to myself, nature's wonders fall apart. Well, keep going. 
those things happen to us. And so if you're chasing them and trying to find or string together enough of them to make your life meaningful, it'll never happen. All you'll find is you're just chasing things and it will never deliver. So for you, if that's hiking, if that's traveling, if that's seeing incredible landscapes, it, whatever it is, whatever it is, if you're chasing that experience, it won't deliver because all of them, all of the gifts, no matter where we find them, are meant for us to trace the gift back to the giver. And James is saying in the midst of your trials, don't be deceived. You can't blame God for falling into temptation. And there is every reason to know that God is good because you see his goodness everywhere and he doesn't change. Which means because of who he is, he will continue to display these good gifts everywhere. So do you see him? In the midst of experiencing those good gifts, do you see him? When I enjoy a good bottle of bourbon with my friends, do I see him? Because everything that we have comes down. The skills that people recognize in you, guess what? It came down. Your relational skills with people, your intellect, it came down. The financial success that you have had and maintain, it came down. The ability that you have to navigate situations in your career and continue to advance, that came down. The ability for you to endure in trials and endure through temptation, bringing someone with you, that came down down. Beloved, all is gift. And every gift that we observe, that we experience, that we recognize about ourselves comes down. So when you get through, when you are enduring a trial and you feel the temptation and you feel like you can't do anything you can look up. When you don't have the power to do things that you normally did in the way that you normally did them, you can look up. James is saying, focus your attention on God. Because when you go through trials and temptations and they really crack you open and you really get to the end of yourself, even if you have no strength in your hands, you can look up. Even if you can't move your eyes, your heart can be lifted up. Because you can remember that there is no shadow of change with our God. And that he gives every good and perfect gift and they always come down. Second, James says, remember that all is grace. Look at what he says. This is verse 18, right? Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of creation, or excuse me, of his creatures. All is gift, 
now all is grace. There are two things here that he highlights for us. And this is going to be super theological, and there's no way around it, because James wants us to think theologically and think about who God is and what God says. And he wants us to think about how we follow Jesus and how we live our lives every day. He says, God brought us forth by the word of truth. He brought us forth by his own will. By his own will, he brought us forth through the word of truth. James is setting before us this whole idea of how do you follow God in the first place? If if you recognize that God is dynamically unchanging and you recognize that he has scattered good things everywhere in creation, how did you get there? If you're bringing Jesus with you into your trials and you're bringing Jesus with you into temptation, how did you get there? And he says it's by grace that you actually were brought forth by his will. He's wanting us to think about what Jesus specifically calls with Nicodemus the born from above. You know this idea? Fancy word is regeneration. New heart, new beginning, a beginning from above. How did that happen? You remember we talked about this, pressing this analogy of being born, being born again? You know, that word has really fallen on hard times in the last, you know, number of years, hasn't it? Being a born-again follower of Jesus has all kinds of sad connotations these days. I'd love for us to just set those aside and think about what the Bible says about it. To be born again, thinking about that idea from the perspective of the baby is this. From the baby's perspective, birth is painful. You know, you get all squished, and you got to go through this canal, and some of you come out, some of us come out with this cone head shape. Like, like birth is traumatic for the baby, isn't it? It's uncomfortable. That's why a lot of them come out screaming. Oxygen, no, I don't want that, Right? There's this, this light and, and, vo- and sounds. Well, what is that? I'm used to being inside. Birth from the baby's perspective is incredibly traumatic. But have you thought about birth from the mother's perspective? The mother is the one that brings the baby to life, that births the baby. The mother is the one that labors for the child. The mother is the one that says, yes, I will allow my body to be deformed because I love you. The the mother is the one who says, yes, I will bleed if necessary. I will be cut if necessary so that you can enjoy life in this world. The mother is the one that says, yes, I'll be scarred and disfigured so that you might come to life. Yes, you are born because of my labor. Does that sound familiar? 
God is saying the reason why you are alive in Christ is because I have labored for you. I have shed blood for you. I was willing to be disfigured for you. I was willing to do all of the work so that you could come into the world. I did it all. It means that we did not bring ourselves to life. It means that faith did not bring us, bring us to life. We didn't choose to become a Christian. God changed us. God acted on us. Jesus labored so that we would come to life. So that our faith, and our obedience are all a response to what God has done. Do you see what James is doing? He's trying to get you to think about how powerful and glorious God is. Because when we just think about ourselves when we're going through temptations, guess what we end up with? Man, my desires aren't really what they should be. And my desires have led me to give in to that desire, which means I've brought about sin, and then that leads to death. But God, he's unchangeable. And God, he gives good gifts. And God, he's the one that brought me forth. He's the one that made me alive so that my faith is all a response to him, so that my obedience is all a response to him. We love, beloved, because he first loved us. And how he first loved us is that he labored for us and shed his blood for us. And he was disfigured for us so that we would be alive in him. Does that help you with temptation at all? You think that might help you in the trials at all? James is saying, We'll, we'll go with this way. We'll, we'll, I'll try to say it this way. Do you remember what it was like to fall in love? You remember that? Do, do you remember what it was like to fall in love? And maybe you haven't experienced that yet. That's fine. Do you remember what it's like to fall in love? Even if it's not a person, even if it's a career, even if it's something that you love to do, you know what it's like to fall in love with something? Remember how it used to kind of change your decisions and how you did things? Remember how I used to think about that all the time? The problem with our love is that it kind of waxes and wanes, doesn't it? Things that I loved five years ago, I don't love as much now. Things that I didn't love five years ago, I love now. I thought I loved Jenny the day that we married. Only to find out 20 years later, I love her far more now than I thought I did then. She probably would say the opposite of, no, I'm just kidding. Our love waxes and wanes, but James is saying, this is how much God loves you. That he loves you in a way that doesn't change. You get it? He's giving you good gifts, every good gift, because of what Jesus has done for you. His love for you doesn't change. And it won't change, because it wasn't conditioned on anything that you did. Or would do. He loves you because he loves you. He brought you 
forth by the word of truth, meaning the gospel. You heard about what Jesus had done and by the work of the Spirit, we were resurrected. Now that's love. That's love, isn't it? To be able to say, you know what? It's not just that I love this person, they love me, but their love resurrected me. Now that is an amazing love. Their love brought me to life, even though I entered this life thinking, oh, I can't stand all the lights and I don't like this oxygen stuff and why do I have all these trials and why does it feel like temptation? And God says, I love you and I'll be with you. And when you're changing and up and down and all over the place, I ain't changing. And I am dynamically not changing. So I'm gonna pursue you everywhere, through everything, all the days of your life. And then James says, and we'll do this quickly, that all is grace not only because of God bringing us forth, but all is grace in that God looks at us as the first fruits. He's borrowing Old Testament language here. He's just trying to get us to remember this was the image by which God would teach his people how they're supposed to give. You know, in an agrarian society, you plant and you pray for rain and trust in God and God brings forth a harvest and you take the first part of your harvest and you give that to God by putting it in his storehouse. So that no matter what you earn, you take the top 10% of that and you give it to God. You give it to his storehouse. You give it to his people. You give it to his church. And then you live off the other 90%. And oh, by the way, the 10 was just a floor. There wasn't a ceiling. And God is saying now, oh, you, you are just the first fruits of what's to come because you are experiencing my power, my supernatural power, and I'm still working on you because creation is groaning, waiting for the return of Jesus, and you living as my people in the world, you have experienced my power and my love, and I have changed you, and that is a foretaste of what is to come. James knows, just like Paul and Peter and every other author in the New Testament and every other prophet in the Old Testament, all the way back, all the way to the beginning, that God has a plan for the world. And that is to live with his people forever and ever and ever. Without sin. Without anything between us and our God. Forever. And James is saying, you as followers of Christ... If you're not a follower of Christ, this is what's on offer for you. Here it is, that Jesus has done everything and the world is gonna be made new and all wrongs will be made right and you don't have to try to fix it. God is already working on that and fixing it. And you're the first fruits of what's to come. And that means this, I'll do this very quickly. One, let trials have their full effect. That's what the first few verses say. Let it have its full effect. 
When you're going through trials and feeling a tug of temptation, let it have its effect. Don't run, don't hide, don't go to techniques, don't go to methods. Bring Jesus with you and just ride it out. There are some things you can't pray away. There are some things that pills can't take away. Let trials have their full effect on your life. It's one of the ways that you will know that Jesus is real and that he's with you and that you're changing. If you can always outstrength your trials and overpower your trials, you're not really going to grow. You're just going to become stronger in yourself. And the whole purpose is to crack us open to make us dependent on Jesus. Let trials have their full effect. And that means that it may be painful for you. It's been painful for me, so I assume it will be that way for you. That means you may need to go back through some things in your life and let it have its full effect on you. Let it crack you open in ways that you didn't want and then deal with that through the gospel. Because God wants you to be mature. He wants me to grow. I don't like what I'm going through. God doesn't say that when you go through trials, consider your trials joy. That's not what he says. Remember this? But I can find joy in the fact that God is doing something in me even if I can't see it, even if it's imperceptible to me. I know that this is what he's doing to make me more like Jesus. And that's what he does for all of us. And second, and this is where we'll end, let trials have their full effect, but this, this listen to this, please. God knew what he was redeeming when he sent his son. So if you're here and you're thinking, why does God hate me? I'm such a terrible person. Brother or sister, get over yourself. And I say that with all the love that I've gotten. I hope that you'll say that to me. God knew what he was getting when he redeemed us in Jesus. In other words, look to the cross. You're right. I'm right. I'm a pretty horrible person. There is no reason why God should love me or would love me. But he knew exactly what he was redeeming when he decided to redeem me. So guess what? It's time to worship. It's time to praise him. It's time to think of myself less. It's time to put my power and my agenda on the back burner even more. And it's time to focus my attention on him who doesn't change, who gives good gifts, and who does everything by grace. And that's what leads us to the table.